Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. You also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you've given us your word. Uh, to light our steps, that we are not left um, without direction, that we aren't left without um, guidance, but that you meet us through your word, that you transform us through it this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would do that uh, as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the book of Third John, uh, John is building on similar themes that he lays out in Second John, primarily how to interact with each other, how to walk in truth, how to care for brothers and sisters in Christ. And he starts um, this letter by addressing it to, not to a church, but to an individual, which happens a couple times in the New Testament, but as we look at a lot of the epistles, they're often addressed to churches. And so, John has a relationship with Gaius. He's writing about a particular situation that they're both privy to, and he's writing to encourage him towards walking in truth. And as we recognize that this is written to an individual, that shouldn't stop us from then reading it and understanding that it's also meant to be applied to us. And so we recognize that as John is writing to Gaius, that this letter was actually then circulated around the early church to other churches in the area and was meant to be taken to heart. And so us today, as we read it, we take it to heart as we kind of catch a glimpse at this interaction between John and Gaius. It's not really super theological. It's not super didactic. It's not uh, theology point, theology point, theology point, theology point, but it's very uh, narrative-based. 
there's a situation that's happening in the early church that John is addressing and that we can draw um, truth from. And so John is speaking to guys, and he starts with an exhortation. He's excited about how Gaius is walking in the truth. And that really is the subject of this letter, is first this condemnation commendation of Gaius, and then he spells out what it actually looks like to walk in the truth for us. And as we consider uh, what it looks like to walk in the truth, we want to start with the first question is, what is truth? Because we live in a society, in a culture, uh, in a time where truth can be uh, obscured, where it's not always clear what's reality, what's fact, and what's fiction. And so kind of an easy a definition of what is true is that truth equals reality. So we know something is true in so much as it reflects reality. So as I stand here on this stage, I could say I dislocated my shoulder last Saturday, and I know that's reality because I'm wearing the sling and I have the medical bills to prove it. <laughs> so that's reality. And so I say that that's a true statement because it matches with what actually happened in my life. And so we start there with, with what is truth. Truth is reality. And then as believers, we don't just look at truth and we don't just look at reality in our physical surroundings, in our day-to-day happenings, in our relationships, but it goes deeper than that. Because what's most true of us as believers is not the things that happen to us day-to-day. What's most true of us is not our hobbies. What's most true of us is not our work. But what's most true of us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's most true of us is that God from eternity past looked on us by name and said, I love you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, my son is going to die for you. He's going to shed his blood for you, and he's going to pay the penalty that you couldn't pay on your own. And that is what's most true of us as believers. Everything else can be stripped away but that will remain forever. And so as we recognize that that is the truth that's most essential to us, when John is encouraging Gaius to walk in truth, he's encouraging him to walk in light of the gospel, to walk in light of the thing that is most real about him. And so we recognize that as Jesus saves us, as the gospel takes hold, it doesn't just uh, clear our debt with God, but then it changes us over time. The power of Christ is at work in us, developing love for God and love for our neighbors in the process. And so as John is encouraging, um, guys, we might then ask, ask the question, well, why would he bring this up? Because it seems like guys is already doing a pretty good job at this. Right? As you look at the introduction and then you look at the, the next section, next couple of verses after that, it seems like Gaius is doing a pretty stellar job at walking in truth. So why would he write this? Well, I think John recognizes in himself and he recognizes in Gaius, he recognizes in the early church a propensity for us to not walk in reality, but then instead to choose to walk in fantasy. To say, yeah, I know this is what's true of me, that I'm saved, that I'm loved in Christ, that 
I've been saved to love other people and to love God. They recognize that truth, but they say, but that's hard. And where my natural desire is right now is to go the other way. My natural desire is to not walk in accordance with who I am in Christ. And as we struggle with that, we need encouragement to continue to walk in truth. We need reminders that who we are is not our sin. Who we are is not our broken desires, but who we are is Jesus. And so that's, that's why John's writing this. It's an exhortation to, to uh, Gaius and to us to walk in truth. And so then as John describes uh, Gaius' activities, we get a glimpse into what it looks like to actually make that happen. So through the power of Christ, through the power of the gospel, we can uh, show hospitality to others. Through the power of the gospel, we can show hospitality to others. You know, we think about hospitality sometimes like um, we define it as maybe getting cheese and crackers on a plate, maybe brewing coffee for a growth group, maybe getting a fellowship meal ready for church. Um, and that's kind of where we stop, maybe having a dinner, dinner party or something of that nature. And certainly it is that, but as we look at, at the early church and particularly Gaius' actions here, it goes much deeper than that. Um, and we see that hospitality is not just providing a meal, not just providing a, a get-together, but it's providing for somebody's uh, physical needs in all sorts of ways. It's providing for uh, their food, providing for shelter, perhaps providing emotional support, perhaps uh, bringing people in for a long period of time. And as we look at this, John encourages him and, and um, commends him for how faithful he was and what he was doing for the brothers, even though they were strangers to him. And so Gaius wasn't welcoming people in just because he was friends with them. He wasn't showing hospitality just because uh, they were in his growth group or because they went to the same church together, but he brought them in even though they were strangers, even though he had no prior connection with them, even though he had never seen their faces before. He welcomed them into his home. And in the, in the uh, Greco-Roman culture at the time, when you would do that, you wouldn't just be providing for the felt needs, but you'd also be vouching for those people's character as you welcome them into your home. So basically, you'd be putting your reputation on the line for these people. And they're strangers. He has no prior connection with them. And Last time I checked, back in the first century, there was not photo IDs. There was not uh, face recognition software. So for all he knew, uh, these people could be somebody else, fraudulently trying to connect with him. But what does he do? He puts his reputation on the line. He puts his, his house on the line. He puts his possessions on the line to welcome these individuals in. And how can he do that? He can do that because of the power of Christ that's working in him the way that the gospel changes him to welcome these brothers and sisters in Christ. And as he does that, and as we have the opportunity to show hospitality, we can't show hospitality in that way on a surface level. As we seek to show true hospitality to others, we have to go deeper and deeper into relationships. Because as we start caring for people in their time of need, 
as they're on a long journey, even if they are strangers at first, pretty quickly we start seeing each other's junk, right? As we're in close proximity to other people, we start rubbing up against each other. We start seeing what's going on in their lives, good and bad. And in the midst of that, deep relationships must form because otherwise it becomes transactional. It becomes, okay, nice to see you. Okay, here's food. Okay, see you later. And that's not the point of hospitality. The point of hospitality is to go deeper and deeper. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, an uh, excellent author, she wrote a, a great book a couple years ago called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The quote in your bulletin's from that. And then another quote that she has in that book um, speaks to this, which is really great. Living out radically ordinary Christian hospitality means knowing that your relationship with others must be as strong as your words. The balance cannot tip here. Having strong words in a weak relationship with your neighbor is violent. It captures the violent carelessness of our social media-infused age. That is not how neighbors talk with each other. That is not how image bearers of the same God relate to one another. Radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, to build bridges, to repent of sins of the past, to reconcile. Bridge building and remaking friendships cannot be rushed. And what she points at so poignantly for us is that sometimes we like to put on a facade of love. We like to speak love. We like to say, uh, when somebody comes to us and says they're hungry, hungry we like to say, blessings to you. Uh, go forth and be, be filled. Right? Go and be, uh, be uh, hungry no more. But we don't actually do anything to meet their, their needs. We don't actually enter into relationship with them. Instead, we just speak a platitude or we do something on the surface and we let them go by. But as we look at hospitality, it's got to go deeper. It's got to go deeper. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through the gospel. Because as the gospel transforms us, we start to look at others how Christ looks at us. As we enter into deeper and deeper relationships with others, we start to see our own need of the gospel as they rub up against us, and then we start to see their need for the gospel. And then that ends up creating the environment where the gospel can be shared and where the gospel can be received. And so hospitality creates the environment where the gospel can be shared and the gospel can be received. Because as we're in that place of deep relationship, as we're in that place of seeing all the mess, seeing all the warts, seeing all the good, seeing all the things that are worth celebrating, we start to see through the power of Christ how the gospel is needed for ourselves and for other people. And so we walk in truth by showing hospitality to others through the power of the gospel. And the other way, at this point then, John switches from talking about Gaius and then he begins to talk about this other gentleman, Diotrephes. And he's not very happy with this guy. He's actually very uh, antagonistic towards him. This guy is uh, kind of throwing things out of whack at the church there, right? The first thing he says about him is Diotrephes, who loves to be first. <laughs> He's not really holding back. And then he talks about how he um, 
gossips maliciously about John and the other apostles. And then not only that, that he stops people from being hospitable and is not hospitable himself. And if anybody tries to welcome brothers, he kicks them out of the church. So a very stark contrast. And so why does John include that in this letter? Well, first of all, just to, to warn guys and the church, churches to be cautious of this individual. But then second, I think he does it to show us another side of the coin to be aware of. And as we look at this, I, I, I prefer to, to bring the positive aspect for us to look at rather than say, don't do this. But here's how we can positively do something different than how he does it. And so another way we walk in truth is by supporting the truth. Because what does Diotrephes do? He, he purposely puts the truth down. He puts the truth down. Because as he seeks to uh, be first, who, uh, when he says, when John says that he loves to be first, that's pointing to the fact that he loves to be an authority. And he loves to be in authority, not for the sake of other people, but for himself. And by doing so, he rejects the truth of how God created leadership to function. Because as we look at the example of Christ, the, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains everything by the power of his word, he came down as a man to serve and not to be served, to put himself uh, at a place where he's washing our feet, where he's dying for our sins, even though he's perfect, even though he has the power of God, that's where he puts himself. And as he does that, he models for us how he has designed leadership to function, is that power, authority, leadership is not meant to be self-serving, but is meant to be serving to others to be building others up. And so, as Diotrephes loves to be first, he's squashing that reality. He's squashing that truth. And so then, as we look at ourselves, maybe we're in positions of leadership. Maybe at work. Maybe we're a Bible study leader. Maybe um, we're a leader in our, our family or in some other community organization. And as we look at ourselves, we recognize that the gospel, as we live in line with the reality that God has created through the power of Christ, we can choose to uh, be an authority to serve others rather than to serve ourselves, to put ourselves in line with Christ, to look at the example of, of Moses and Paul and Peter, all imperfect but those who led from a place of service rather than a place of self-service. And as we're thinking about this, I was thinking about when I was in high school, I was in scouts, and I was the senior patrol leader of our troop at one point. And so that's the highest youth leadership position in the troop. So when we would go on uh, camping trips, scout camp, jamboree, all those different activities, Basically, I would be the one leading all the youth. So I would lead loading up the trailer, unpacking the trailer, getting camp set up. I would lead as we get, went from activity to activity. And so it was really actually a lot of responsibility for, for a teenager, um, which was a great molding opportunity. 
But one year we went to, to scout camp and every morning we had to get up and we had to put our class A uniforms on. So that's scout shirt, scout neckerchief, hat, scout pants, scout socks, whole nine yards. So we had to be dressed in the nines and we had to walk down to the parade field for the national anthem and the scout oath. And then we do announcements and then go eat breakfast. And so I had it in my head that we needed to march in two single file lines perfectly from our camp up on the hill down to the parade field. And I don't know if you've met middle school boys and high school boys, but walking in straight lines at 6.30 in the morning is not exactly high on their priority list, especially when they've been running around and climbing rock walls and shooting guns and swimming and kayaking and all that stuff all week. You know, they're pretty tired in the morning. And so as we're walking down, I was wanting this thing to happen so badly, so badly to the point that I would walk backwards with my arms like this to get them to line up whenever they would get out of line because I just wanted them to do this and they weren't doing it. And as I was doing that, was that helping them at all? No. <laughs> I wasn't caring for their needs. I wasn't caring for how they felt that morning, for how hungry they were or for how well they slept that night. But instead, I was using my authority, I was using my leadership to get to what my own weird, twisted desires were, right? I wanted to feed my own ego by looking cool rather than serving those other scouts. And all of us have that temptation. But through the power of Christ, he shows us that we can walk in truth by choosing to serve other people in the midst of life. And the second way we support the truth is by speaking truth. Because Diotrephes, as he's uh, gossiping maliciously, that means slander. Right? That means lying about John and the apostles. And why was he doing that? Well, oftentimes we slander in order to discredit another person, in order to fortify our own position in an organization. We tell half-truths, we spin a story to make ourselves look better than the other person. And so Diotrephes, he's, he's so locked into being in this leadership position that he starts to spread lies. And sometimes we do the same. We start to uh, tell mistruths or we start to support falsehoods in order to, to be safe, in order to uh, prop up our own sense of self-worth, maybe. But we support the truth by speaking the truth, by going against the false information in our world by going against the, the slander and the lies that we experience day in and day out on social media, in the news. And we have the opportunity to look at somebody as they are and say, I love you. And I'm going to speak truth to you. And I'm going to speak truth about myself in the midst of this situation. Because the, the fact of the matter is, is that we look at other people in our lives. We're looking at people for whom Christ died. We're looking at people for whom the blood of Christ was shed. And if that's true, which we believe it is, then that will then transform how we speak about them. That will then transform how we interact with them. And through the gospel, we can support the truth by speaking truth. And as we look at this, uh, this dichotomy, this, this contrasting, these two contrasting characters, sometimes it's easy... Uh, to think that we're, we're Gaius and be like, okay, I'm looking at my life. I'm pretty good at hospitality. 
I welcome people in. I have deep relationships. I'm doing a good job at trying to, to walk in truth in that way. And then sometimes on the flip side, too, we might be looking at this and we're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm not really uh, doing too hot with this. But as we look at these two, two characters, the reality is, is that we're both people at the same time. At the same time, we're loving people and we're not really doing a great job at loving people. And we have this, this, this tension in between us where we're simultaneous saint and sinner. And in the midst of that, as we look at that, sometimes that causes despair, sometimes that causes self-righteousness. But as we recognize that, as we look at ourselves, as we take account, we look to Christ. Because as we look to Christ, we recognize that everything that's being accomplished in us is not because of how great we are, but it's because of the power of, of Christ that is in us and that is working. So as we look at our badness, we can rejoice. As we look at our, our goodness, we can be humbled. Because we can rest in the power and the work of Christ in our lives. And then lastly, John uh, talks about a final exhortation to, um, to Gaius. And he says, down in verse 11, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil is, has not seen God. And at first glance, that statement can be maybe intimidating. Because he says, those who do good, what, know God? Or from God? Anyone who does what is good is from God. And then he gives the contrasting statement. And anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And we look at that, and maybe that strikes terror into our hearts. Maybe we look at that and we say, well, you know, um, I do a lot of good, but there's a lot of ways that I, I don't. So does that mean I'm in or I'm out? Well, I think what John is actually trying to get here, get at here, is this idea of being matched up in God's reality, or whether you're hiding yourself from the reality of God. Because to do what is good is to be on the same wavelength as God. To do what is good is to match up with his wavelength, and to see him, and to know him, and to be walking in accordance with his reality. But to do what is evil is to hide from it, is to look away from God and look at our sin. To look away from God, look at the evil desires in our own heart. And so here's this final exhortation that, that John is saying, imitate what is good, not what is evil. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about these last couple days, um, my baby Nora, she's three months old now, and sometimes Sarah sits with her, one her knees facing her, in the armchair, and sometimes I'll walk by the back of the chair, and I'll smile at her, and she'll smile back. And in the last couple of days, I've started waving at her. And I've noticed that she'll look at me, she'll smile, and then she'll look at my hand as it's waving, and then she'll look back at me, and then she'll start flopping her arm like this, trying to wave back to me. And as I thought about this idea of imitating what is good, and to imitate what is good is really to imitate God because he's the definition of good. 
And so as I thought about that, I'm like, you know, all of us are kind of like a little baby trying to imitate their dad as he's waving at them. You know, we're, we're doing our best. We see what's going on. But the connection between our brain and our arm isn't quite there yet. And so it's kind of more like spaghetti than actually waving. And that's how the Christian life feels. It feels like we're imitating and we're really just spaghetti and we're not really doing a good job of being good. But the beauty of the gospel is that God doesn't look at us like an angry drill sergeant who's mad at us for not getting the waving right. But he looks at us like I look at my daughter. He looks at us like a father who loves his child. He's delighted to see his child make that eye contact, to see what's going on, and to try. And he loves that child deeply. No matter what happens. And so it's not about the act of waving, because you know, my relationship with my daughter isn't dependent on me, her getting the waving right. My relationship with her is unconditional. I will love her no matter what for, for the rest of her life. And that's true of God. He looks at us and he loves us unconditionally forever. And so as we recognize that, we recognize that we can walk in truth without fear because God loves us and the power of Christ is working in us. We can show hospitality through the power of Christ. We can support truth through the power of Christ. And we can imitate what is good uh, through the power of Christ as we rest in his love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you love us, uh, that you brought us to a saving knowledge of Jesus, or that you look at us like a father looks at his daughter. Lord, remind us of that every day when we question, when we doubt, when we fear, when we look at our life and we wonder if, we're, if we even understand truth at all. Remind us that you are looking on us with delight. You are looking on us um, with excitement. You are looking on us um, with so much joy that we could never comprehend it. And help us to live from that place. Help us to imitate you from that place. Help us to show hospitality from that place and to support truth from there. We ask these things in the name of Jesus who saves. Amen.